Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. All right, welcome to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files. Today's guest is a podcast host of Misfit Nation, Richard LaMonica. How's it going today, Rich? Good, Stephen. How are you? It's an honor to be here. I'm doing good. It's going to be a good Friday, I hope. So. I hope. St. Patrick's Day, you can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, time to drink some green beer after this. Definitely. So, early day, so we can do it. Yeah. Um, so if you want to walk us through a little bit about uh, your uh, journey to join the military and everything you did while you were in. Awesome. Yeah, no, no problem. So I was born and raised in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, as the fourth of four children. We grew up in a railroad-style apartment, so that meant there was no hallways between rooms. We walked from room to room to room, uh, living room to my sister's room, my parents' room, and then uh, three boys in one room. So you know three boys in one room cannot be good at any time, no matter how old you are. It's not a good time. Mm-hmm. Being the youngest, uh, I've learned to, to be tougher in that room, especially since uh, I was the youngest, I had to learn to fight. Uh, my dad served in the Army, and uh, when I was little, I'd sit with him. I'd Really, I don't remember which one what we were watching. I think it was wars in Israel, probably, because the Vietnam War is probably ending by that time. That I would remember. But we'd watch the news and see soldiers on TV. I said, I want to do that. And that was in the 70s. And uh, I went through my, you know, growing up and stuff, went to high school, and my whole plan was to go to the Army. That's all I wanted to do is join the Army and follow my dad's footsteps and my grandfather's footsteps before him. And then as I was about to go into senior year, I was too young to sign the papers myself, so I had to go to my dad and ask him, and he, he said, hey, enough of us have served. You need to go to college. I said, what? So I'm not ready for college. I haven't taken a course to go to college. I've taken all the things that other people take to just get through school, like uh, carpentry, uh, graphic arts, and stuff like that. He said, well, it looks like you got to have a plan. So my whole senior year, instead of messing around with all my friends, I was taking uh, sophomore sciences, junior sciences, maths. My whole day was, was jam-packed. And I had to take the SAT, which, of course, I had no prior planning to take that either. Somehow I passed it. Somehow I got to college. Uh, so my freshman year of college, I went to Berkeley College in New York. Second year, I went to St. Peter's College in Jersey City, New Jersey, just kind of treading water. I didn't I didn't want to be there. Like most kids, I didn't want to go to college right away. So I joined the football team at St. Peter's, and that way I can hit people at least and have fun. We sucked. We lost 14 straight games. Uh, and then at the end of that, I was like, look, I, dad, I'm old enough now. I'm, I can't do this college thing right now. I'm not ready. I'm going in the army. He said, okay, just don't go to the military. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so I signed up and I went to chemical instead, NBC at that time. And my first duty station, infantry. My first six years in the army was with the infantry. I said, that worked out well for us, dad. So that I learned, uh, I was at Stewart first with the mechanized infantry, went to Korea for a year, then to Campbell for two years with the light infantry and so I learned a lot in the infantry, and uh, I learned how to be a leader. And I wound up uh, finally getting my first squad was with a chemical company here at Fort Campbell. Uh, I spent I really didn't get a lot of time there because as soon as I got my squad, I got orders to leave here to go to Fort Riley and go to another infantry unit. So there it, there it is again. Just keep going back to combat arms. And 
So we did that. Uh, I was there in 9-11. We were deployed to Kuwait already when 9-11 occurred. So we were already on the ground in Kuwait and 9-11 occurred. So we didn't really believe it happened because we didn't have the news back then like we do now. Everything like zapped forward to you there. We were on a patrol along the border and we got called back saying threat con Delta. Like, what? Stop making jokes. Come on. We just got to get back for ice cream. Everything's all right. When we get back and my lieutenant's like, yeah, the World Trade Center has been hit. I said, stop messing around, sir. I said, my backyard in New Jersey, I can see the Twin Towers. So I was like, don't mess around, sir. I know a lot of people that work over there. My, I sent one of my young sergeants. I said, go to the CNN tent and check out what's going on. He came back and said, Sergeant, stop bailing before you get in trouble. It's real. And everything just flipped and flipped the switch from ice cream and peacetime to now we're the first people deployed, really. We're the first people overseas, even though it's Kuwait. But we were there. And, uh, and uh, Kuwait now is a curse when you say deployed. Then it was the place to be. So, uh from there, we, we stayed there until December. We pushed everyone up into Afghanistan and stuff. They sent us back to Fort Riley and put us on gate guard and then sent us to NTC to train to go to the desert so we can go to war, even though we were just in the desert. Uh, 2003, I went back to Ramadi, Iraq with Fort Riley with the uh, brigade headquarters, first brigade headquarters. Uh, we were in Ramadi from 2003, 2004, uh, fought on the streets there the whole time. It was a very kinetic city, of course. In state of Connecticut State throughout the war, pretty much. Uh, Ramadi was a hotbed for, for love of the Americans from his side. I rotated back, did some, uh, I guess, admin jobs. I destroyed, a, I supervised the destruction of our our country's stockpile of chemical weapons in Anderson, Alabama for three years. Back to Korea and then came back home here to Fort Campbell in 2010 for the surge to Afghanistan. I was in Afghanistan 10, 11, and 12. So in uh, December 31st, 2010, I lost my first soldier in combat. Uh, he was on patrol with the engineers, and him or his lieutenant triggered a pressure plate mine, and he was killed. The lieutenant that was a triple amputee at the time. And that's where the Misfit Nation came from, that platoon right there. We were a band of Misfit toys that were thrown together from all units in the battalion that no one wanted. I was the new SAR first class. Hey, you take them. This is your platoon. Have fun. Have at it. Have at it, Haas. So we took it, and we've run with it since 2010. Came home 2011. We're home probably six months or told, hey, you guys are going back to the advisors. You're going to go live with the Afghans and be on their bases. And this is at the time of the green on blue stuff. So, you know, that's that pucker level goes up a little higher. And we go to Kunar now. I was on, on ground two days and a mortar came into base. Hit behind me, came out through my left leg. And uh, I got evac to Jalalabad or Bob Fenty. Had surgery there. And uh, I refused to evac to Germany, refused to evac back home. Went right back to the fight, stayed there for the rest of my tour. Came back uh, and wound up ending my career at Aberdeen uh, Proving Grounds. I well, Most of my end of my career was there two days back at Fort Campbell to retire. So in 2015, I retired in June. Uh, I took a whole year off to try to basically decompress and find a job. So exactly 365 days after I retired, I got a job. But the mission continues where they hired me to mentor fellow veterans as they went through a fellowship program in their hometowns to try to do their transition a little better, transition back to the communities a little better, give back to their communities, and then also have the community welcome them back. Did that for two years, and then I took a job on Fort Campbell where now I train soldiers. And in that time, I started my master's at Georgetown. I achieved that in 2020 during the pandemic. Of course, I wasn't able to walk the stage because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. and I, was told, I was told by a professor there I shouldn't go any higher because 
I'm not an academic. So I said, okay, yeah, challenge accepted. So I started my doctorate. I started the process right after graduation. And I'm uh, three classes from a doctorate right now. Uh, also, at the end of at that same time is when I started the podcast, Misfit Nation. So I, I took a, I asked a bunch of my soldiers from the Misfits. I said, is it all right if we, I use the name? Yeah, you can use the name. So do that. And at first it was started to just bring guys, guys and gals on to get their story off their chest. Because that's the number one thing, get, keeping all that pressure in there to get that story off their chest and, and just talk it out. And that way they're with us a few more days, a few more months, a few more years, maybe get that pressure off. But then they started asking for more things like, how do we write a book? How do we get to Hollywood? How do we write music? How do we do this? So I wound up getting all these other guests. And now 252 episodes later, I've had a cornucopia of different people with veterans sprinkled in now. And now and then to hear awesome stories of our brothers and sisters. Uh, last December, I published my first book, The 13th Step Guide to Success, also during the same period. That's about it in a nutshell. Uh, it's always funny how uh, when somebody tells a veteran that you can't do something, we take that as a challenge or we're basically like, no, nah, I'm going to fucking do it. And exactly. we seem to excel so much better than people that don't have our experiences have. So, right. So you're three classes away from your doctorate. What are you uh, majoring in right now? Homeland security. Okay. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned Campbell and uh, what years were you at Campbell? Uh, 96 to 99 and then 10 till basically present. Yeah, because I was I I got to Campbell 2010 okay. and deployed. I was with uh, uh first brigade and uh 132 cab then, and okay. we we're up in the Kunar province. And because as soon as I got there, I deployed immediately because I came from South Korea. So did and I. <laughs> I know I'm gonna be on your show later, so I don't want to get into too much of what I did. Right. Um, but I got some stories that when I get on your show that are gonna be like, you're either crazy or you're just stupid. <laughs> maybe a little bit of both but that's um, <laughs> yeah but we were all the way up in the hindu pass up there um where you know i don't you i'm sure you remember cop keating yeah yeah we're up there we were the next unit after of course um that took over up there from fourth infantry division but it was uh, that, that was like that was like the wild west up there so i'm not gonna lie i I'm really surprised that we didn't lose a lot more than what we did. So I can't wait to have you on and uh, talk about that side of the, of the mountain. So that'd be great. Yeah. I had a good time though at Campbell. I'm not going to lie. That was my favorite duty station. Um, we had pretty good leadership at the lower levels. Um, but it was, it wasn't for the rucking just about every day at Campbell. I think it would have had a better time, but well, Rest assured, they don't do that here anymore. So <laughs> I don't think I see a ruck at all here anymore. So. Really? That's oh, not fair. It's very sad. <laughs> yeah, that's like, because, I mean, that's what they're known for is rucks and walking everywhere. I mean, it's all light infantry. I mean, Fort, Fort, Knox, <laughs> Fort Knox is bigger land-wise than Campbell, but Campbell's got a lot more soldiers, of course. Right. So, because it's all light infantry. So exactly. that doesn't make much sense, but. I guess <laughs> times change, I guess. So Definitely. out of all your experiences, um, what do you think drove you the most to become so successful after you were, after you were transitioned out? I think my, my dad, my mom and dad, uh, my upbringing, uh, seeing them work so hard to make sure we had everything we needed, not the things we wanted, things we needed to survive. 
my dad worked <clears throat> one, two, three jobs at a time. There was that one time he was driving a truck, working at the morgue and operating a bar at the same time to put my, oh my God. To put food on the table. That was just when he had the, my brother and sister. Then he added two more in there, me and my other brother. And that was about six six years later. And uh, it showed us the hard work pays off. And he always gave everything of himself. So we had everything. And my mom didn't even make it out of high school. But she worked. She worked jobs that they would give her for someone not, that didn't make it out of high school. So she always pushed herself to the envelope to work, 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 and do everything she can for us. And begrudgingly would go to the school plays with us. And uh, anything we volunteered them to do, they would do for us. They would never say no, but they were always there and pushed us to that to that thing. And my dad always told us to, if you want something, you have to work for it. And I think that plus my career in the military pushed me to say. If you want to do something, you have to do it. And like we talked earlier, the challenge accepted rule, the Barney Stinson rule there. So if, if someone says you can't do something, it's not really just proving them wrong. It's proven that you can do it. It's proven to you in your heart that, hey, I can still do this. Even even now that we're older and uh, we've been out of the boots for a little while, if I if someone says I can't go ruck, I'm going to put my ruck on now. So I'm going to go ruck. It's going to hurt, but I'm going to do it. No, no. <laughs> I, I ain't doing that no more. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> That's just, <laughs> yeah, all that rucking between Fort Riley, because I was at Fort Riley too, and uh, of course Campbell, South Korea, all the stuff being a cavalry scout. Yeah, my knees ain't going to take that no more. So <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned though earlier that you were in a bedroom with your uh, uh, siblings too, because my lifestyle was basically the same. We were in an old schoolhouse, and we, well, for a little bit, we moved around a lot, but with my stepmom, my father, and then you know, there's three of us and we're all in one bedroom. And of course, there's only a two bedroom apartment, but our upbringing can really uh, sway how we go. And I would have to say, you know, a troubled upbringing like we had and then the military on top of it will make you not want to ever live that lifestyle again. Um, I have six kids now and me and my wife, we both work right now and doing this on the side with my business partner. Um, we, I mean, I'll do anything for my kids. Uh, I got six kids, so there's no, there's no sleep break. <laughs> no, no, I get like five hours of sleep a night. That's if I'm lucky. And then we just did a, a round robin of sickness again. So, yeah. yeah, my oldest is 11 and my youngest is two. So yeah. it never ends. Then you'll be sick all week. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what rank did you retire out? Sorry, first class. Okay, same same here. So, um, about how long did for for your transition period? When did you start the transition period before you retired? Well, I was up in Aberdeen Proof Grants. I was the chemical uh, support teams up there, chemical recon teams up there, CRT, and uh, I went to JRTC in October of 2014 as team sergeant because my team sergeant had gotten sick. So as soon as I got back from that. I turned in my CIF like the next week. I said, here you go. And my first time I was like, hey, you just do what you got to do until you leave start. So it was basically right then until June of 2015. That's when I was actually started. I turned the switch to start my transition. Okay. Now you said you said taking 365 days off. Uh, what all, like, why, why such a long period? Uh, first, it was to decompress from everything and all the, all the tours and all the things I did in, in the military. But then people just weren't biting. They weren't biting on my uh, my resume. They weren't. They thought I wanted more money than I was asking for. They thought I wanted this. 
They never asked me these questions. They would say, oh, yeah, we can't afford you. I didn't ask for anything. I just applied for a job. I want a purpose. I want to get out of the house. My wife wants me out of the house. She wants me to get off this lazy boy drinking beer with my dog all day. She didn't want that lifestyle. So, so it, it was, it just took, it, that's most of why it took that long. And I finally went to Hire Heroes USA, sent them the resume I had. They sent me one back. And I didn't understand the word on it, but it started getting quite, like, it must be pretty cool, whatever it says here. And people start saying, that's a good resume. That's a good resume. And that's when I realized if someone would have told me that earlier to write in a different language, write the verbiage different, it would have helped me. So I started helping others and trying to help our brothers and sisters as they do it. Mm-hmm. And now that's kind of why this podcast kind of helps that. And I also, anyone I meet on the meet at the coffee shops or the bar and talk to them that they're having troubles. So let me see what you got. Let me see what you got right now. Let's fix it and get you, get you marketable and get you out of here. Excuse me. No, it's actually, uh, I think when I was getting out, the uh, program they have in the Army, it's just, I think it fills you up with a false sense of hope that, hey, I'm marketable no matter, just because of my military experience. And that's not true at all. Uh, they need to revamp that whole program because it's not true. Um, that's one thing I always push to my my soldiers, um, whether they were my peers or, you know, my lowers. I always try to tell them, hey, just because you serve in the military doesn't mean you're guaranteed anything on the outside world. You've got to make yourself marketable to employers out there. And some of them just did three, four years, like, oh, I'll guarantee you a job on the outside. No, you're not. No. no so, no. So, uh, what was your first job after you got done? After after your break, what was your first thing you did? I worked at the Mission Continues. It's uh, based out of St. Louis. It's a veteran nonprofit. And uh, basically, what they do is they kind of help veterans find their purpose again. So, my job was as a fellowship program specialist. Uh, veterans will come in, they do a six-month period where they go back home or in the, the town they're in now, find a nonprofit or a church or an organization where they can volunteer about 20 hours a week for about 500 hours during six months. And we give them a stipend, and I just give them coaching along the way to get them to keep pushing forward, to build their leadership, to build their skills as they go. And it was very fruitful for me. And uh I was the first person that had a class finish on time together because I, I pushed them and I made them become a unit instead of individualizing it. Mm-hmm. Said, all right, you're all, you're all misfits. Now you're all together. I kept using that misfit term on everybody. So you're all misfits. Now you're going to do this together. And if you're in trouble, if you can't reach me, reach out to one of your brothers and sisters. And that's what they did. They, that whole class did that. It was like a cohort of, of, pan, of people that just became a team and did that. So I got the high fives for that. I kept pushing it, but the organization kind of changed after after a year or so. It started to melt into this. We're going to follow the headlines and do things the way the headlines are saying we should do things. And they got rid of most of my team. They kept me on, which really felt weird. And I, I just I stayed on over a year because I didn't want to be a statistic because most veterans quit their first job after a year. I don't yeah. do that. And I didn't have something to fall back on right away. I didn't want to leave my family in that, that hole again. So I stayed two years, and then my old first sergeant called me. He was a 19 kilo, and uh, he uh, he said, "You want to come work here?" I said, "Heck yeah!" And I started working there, and then gave my two years. That was it. I see. You're still working for a tanker? Uh, no, I don't work for him anymore. He uh, he moved down to Florida. He's also pursuing his doctorate, and mm. uh, he still works for the same company. He's just not my boss anymore. Oh, okay. So uh, out of so 
out of all the soldiers you see transition out, what do you see the biggest problem with the ones transitioning out? Where is their biggest fault at? I think, or you you said it earlier that uh, a cap or soldier for life, whatever they call it now, it gives that false hope, and it's a check the block thing. So, if me and you walk in there, start first classes, you go in there, they're talking to us all in the room as we're the same person. Yep, we're all at the same level. We're not there. They need to spread it out so. Uh, the E5 and below or E5s and E4s together, those kids who just made two years and are getting booted or whatever in there, they get a different room. But everyone gets skills that they, they think they could use on the outside. So if you come in as a clerk, you should be able to go as a clerk outside. If you go in as a scout, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to transition that to a job on the outside unless you go into a police force or a SWAT or something like that. And that's not something all of you want to do, especially after a career. If you do 20 years of, of kicking indoors, you don't want to go kicking doors in your city. You want nope. to do a little different. You want to cool it down and do something different. So they need to give some soft skills to you to teach you other things to do and show you other ways to do things instead of saying, okay, this is the brief I have to give you today. Just sign this paper saying you were here. And thanks for thanks for showing up. Don't, don't ask any questions. That doesn't help us. And, and I'll, that turns into what the Warrior Project was doing to soldier veterans probably eight years ago now they're telling everyone they were broken and doing those commercials with the broken veteran on the commercial give us money for your blanket you're all broken and we'll fix you you're not broken no you just need tweaked we all just need tweaked because after 20 years of service you that's all you knew i wake up in the morning i put my boots on and i go and then all of a sudden you got to stop i stopped putting the boots on what do i do now how do what do i do with my hands like ricky bobby what do i do with my hands and you got to get out there and look for a hand up, not a handout. If you're looking for handouts, you're in the wrong business. And that's that's for the dudes that put their uniforms on at Veterans Day to try to get the free meals. That's the handout guys. And you can pick them out in any city, any any county around this country. You'll find the handout guys. The dudes who are looking for a hand up are the dudes that are just barely making it. Say, hey, can I come work for you today? I'll do this for you today so I can feed my family, so I can feed me, so I can get off the street. And that's where the divide is right there. People that think they're broken, acting like they're broken, so they get all these pats on the back. And then those people who really are trying their ass off to get places and need that hand up instead of a handout. Yeah, that's actually, uh, that's one thing I've never, I never, I don't even like going into the restaurants to be like, hey, for the uh, like Veterans Day meals and stuff like that. I don't even like be like, yeah, I'm a veteran. My wife, she'll be like, oh yeah, he's a veteran. But I'm like, I don't like announcing it. I'm not ashamed of my service, so it's just like I'm one of millions of veterans, and there are ones that are worse than me out there that need more help just because their situation. Right. I'm very fortunate. Um, you seem like you're very fortunate to you know work your butt off to get where you are. So, but I don't like getting free stuff. Now, if it's like a five thousand dollar thing, I'm buying. Hey, you got a veteran discount, so not a couple hundred off maybe. But that's the only time I ever say anything about it. Um, but I'm proud of my service. I just don't announce it. Like, give me, give me stuff. I want, you know, my business partner, me and him are working together and he's giving me a hand up and he's trying to bring me up and get me out of my shell so I can get, you know, become more successful. So, so how can uh, people get, uh, find you and get a hold of you on your social media handles, stuff like that? Uh, it's pretty easy. The misfitnation.com. That's T-H-E-M-I-S-F-I-T. N-A-T-I-O-N.com, that everything's on there. All my socials are on there. Uh, Misfit Nation podcast at gmail.com. I think every every social media is either my name, Rich LaMonica, or the Misfit Nation. 
So if it's a rap group, it's not me. If it's uh, red, white, and blue, it's me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's this symbol. If it's a symbol here, it's me. There's also a Misfit Space Nation. That's a rap thing, and people get a little confused why I'm why I'm promoting them, but I'm not. Got it. So, well, it was a pleasure talking to you today. Um, I look forward to speaking with you here very soon um, and learn some more experiences from you. And congratulations on everything you've accomplished so far. And three classes away from your doctorate. Yes, sir. So you are definitely crushing it better than a lot of veterans have done, and. That's that's quite an achievement for somebody. So, especially somebody on our side of the uh, uh, branch, the enlisted side. So, most of us just see us as angry old, coffee drinking, beer drinkers, and never going to succeed except for blue collar jobs. But you're definitely proving everybody else wrong. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swanthingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking and keep swanthing.